we get so easily sucked into the pressures of daily life that we forget, we very often lose sight of who God is on a daily basis. We lose sight of what it is that God has done for us. We, as Christians, are forgetful. And so, what I want us to do just now, really, in our time together, is to go back to basics and to consider, really, what is the critical element of the Christian faith and to answer a very, very simple question, and it is this. What is so special about the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ? What is so special about Calvary? I mean, we, we, we talk about it all the time in the church, don't we? And uh, I preach about it and we uh, sing about it. But what, what's the big deal with Calvary? You know, from a spiritual perspective, what is it that actually went on in the moments of, of, of Jesus' death? Why is it actually that this morning, as a Christian, you should not come to church uh, just merely out of habit and, and stale, but, but come rejoicing and rejoicing in the cross? Why is that? What is so special about Calvary? What's so special about the cross? Well, to answer that, what we're going to do is we're going to turn back in our Bibles to that chapter we've just read in Leviticus 16. So the first thing that I'm going to ask you to do this morning is this. Would you please do that? Would you please turn back with me and have Leviticus 16 open in front of you? Again, I'll give you the page number. If you're using the church Bible, it's on page 95, Leviticus uh, chapter 16. And the first thing that I want to highlight this morning here are the preparations of the high priest. The preparations of the high priest. Without in any way trying to patronize you, did you find that the reading tough going? Was it confusing in a sense? If that is the case, I, 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 you're not alone. <laughs> And I, I certainly wouldn't blame you. Because, I mean, don't you think the Day of Atonement is, like, it's, it's a difficult reading, isn't it? I mean, it's really, really detailed. And there's actually a lot of repetition in this. So I think, actually, the first thing we need to do, the first thing I need to do is, is to try and unpack some of the preliminary stuff so that we understand what's going on here, right? And, and so, first of all, let's make sure that we get the setting or the background correct Get that right in our, our minds. Would you look at verse 1? Verse 1 is really interesting, isn't it? Now, we're told that this day of atonement, it started, it was instigated after what? Do you see, it's after the death of the two sons of Aaron. Don't you agree that's quite interesting? If we, I guess if we had more time, we could really plow into that and look at the depths. I don't think we need to. I think this is all you need to know. Just a few pages before, in Leviticus 10, two men, great names, Nadab and Abihu, like the sons of Aaron, they approached God where he dwelt in the tabernacle. And it was with the purpose of making an offering to God. Sounds good, does it? Going to make an offering to God. Here's the problem. The problem is that they did not approach God with due reverence and care and, and awe. And what happened? Listen to what happened. Fire raged out of the tabernacle. Didn't just burn me, Dab and Abihu. Fire raged out of the tabernacle and actually consumed these two sons of Aaron. They died. Isn't that something? You've got to understand, that's the backdrop. That's the setting to this Day of Atonement that we're 
establishing, looking at today. The second thing, though, we also have to have the layout of the tabernacle correct in our minds. If, if you're a, a part of the congregation at LCPC, perhaps you remember a couple of months ago that I was moaning about uh, Russian dolls. Do you remember that at all? I was uh, slagging off these, what are they called again? The Matryoshka dolls. You know the Russian dolls that sit one inside the other? I was saying, those are the stuff of nightmares, you know? These freaky looking faces and their heads and fitting one inside the other. Now, even if that is true, which it is, they are the stuff of nightmares. Uh, Even if that is true, don't they help us a little bit here? Because what's the layout of the tabernacle? Inside the walls of the tabernacle, what did you have? You had, now imagine it, will you, with me? You had this big courtyard... It was a courtyard before this imposing tent, and the tent was called the Tent of Meeting. But then, like the Russian dolls, what do you have inside the Tent of Meeting? Inside the Tent of Meeting, you have another room, don't you? Which was called the Holy Place. Then inside that, like a Russian doll, what do you have? You have another room called the Most Holy Place, where God dwelt a a place that only the high priest was allowed to to go and and only once a year on this day the day of atonement now here's the thing you put all of that together what's your impression like the background with nadab and abihu and then the layout of the tabernacle what are you thinking thinking with me what a holy god like further it'd be all of these dangers in approaching him and all of these obstacles to, to getting to the dwelling place of God. We, we're looking at the Day of Atonement. And it's screaming at you, God is a God to be feared. God, God, the God we are before just now is a holy, holy God. So you with me thus far? You've got the setting, the background. And then we've got the layout of the tabernacle. But I tell you this, the most important thing for us to get just now I think, are the preparations the high priest makes. So I want to just ask you this question. What's the point of Leviticus 16? I mean, if a visitor came in here after the service and asked you about this chapter that we've read or Adrian's read, what's going on here? What would you say is the the main purpose, the main point of Leviticus 16? If I was to ask you that, let's see. Would you say to me, well, Andy, what's going on here is that the people are being cleansed from sin. Would you say that to me? Would you say the main point of this chapter is that atonement is being made for the transgressions of Israel? Would you say that to me? Is that what you would say to me? Well, yeah. But what we have to remember, of course, is that all of this, now listen to these words, all of this today is symbolic. Like, no actual atonement is being made. This is, in a sense, figurative, temporary at best. It is symbolic. So isn't this true? Wouldn't you agree with this? That the primary purpose of this chapter was to teach the people of Israel about atonement. Isn't that what's going on in Leviticus 16? Do you see what I'm saying? God, here in this chapter, is pointing the people forward to a day when their sin is actually going to be atone for and, and maybe, do you see what I'm saying to you all of this this chapter is didactic is God teaching his people and, and so what do we ask we say well what about these preparations what is God teaching the people the preparations how about this have a look look at verse 6 look at it now answer me what did Aaron have to do here the high priest what does he have to do 
He has to offer the bull as a sin offering for whom? Do you see even the boys and girls? Do you see the answer? The high priest has to first offer sin offering for himself. Do you see what it is that the Lord God Almighty is teaching the people here? That when that day comes, that real day that they are waiting for, for atonement to be made, what has to happen? A true, a true, perfect, sinless priest must act. God is teaching his people one day a pure representative, a perfect representative of the people is going to come and he is going to stand before God on their behalf. Then there's something else. This morning, what I've done for the boys and girls, for the younger boys and girls, I've given them, in my goodness, a coloring picture, a picture of coloring that some of the, the boys and girls are doing. Now, this is, a boys and girls, isn't it, of a high priest, isn't it? But it's a picture. Somebody holds it up. Colin, you show me it. You're not doing it. I can't even rely on my eldest. What hope have I got? There you go. Well done, Beastie. So you have a picture of the high priest wearing, now listen, this is important, wearing his normal temple garb. Now, boys and girls, here's my question. If you saw the drawing, would you like to wear those clothes to school, (laughs) to play football in? Would you? No. Why not? Because those clothes are far too elaborate. Aren't they? We know them, do we? Do we know them? The normal temple clothes? Like a long, uh, elaborate, luxurious robe. I mean, beautiful, I guess. And, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, embroidered and it's uh, ornamented with, with jewels and so forth. And then the high priest had a, a breastplate across him here, a chest. And it, again, you know, luxurious and it's beautiful. And he's wearing this big turban and it's colorful and everything's beautiful. In fact, boys and girls, Boys and girls, what does he look like? Isn't this the case that he almost looks like a king? Doesn't he almost looks like royalty in this picture? And as a congregation, did you notice what has to happen here? Look at verse 4. Do you see it? We are told that in order to make atonement for sin, that the high priest now has to change. Isn't that interesting? Like all of this fancy, these garments and these clothes, and they have to go. Like, I mean, come on, off with those. And, and do you see what has to replace them? Like, isn't your abiding thought here that's really, 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 really plain? Luke puts emphasizes the only thing here is, is a linen garment. None of these embellishments. A linen garment and a linen sash and a linen turban. Do you understand that they're clothes not of a king and not of royalty, but clothes of a servant? The high priest had to dress as a slave here. Do you see what God is teaching the people? On this day of true atonement, what is going to happen? What's going to happen? That the high priest had to be lowered. On this day that was coming, this day of true atonement, it would involve a condescension, a humiliation, a lowering of the representative of the people. Now, what's the question we are trying to answer this morning? Can you remember it from the start? What is so special about the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you not see at least part of the answer there? I mean, you, you, as you gather in this room, do you not? That that day of atonement, the true day has been, and it's gone. 
Don't you know that, that the central atoning event for, for all of human history, it happened when? In the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't we know that? You know that. So I'm asking you as a Christian, this morning, before we come to the table, what do you see at the cross? Even just now, as you look through the gloom towards Golgotha, as you look through the darkness to the cross, what do you see there? What do you see? Yes, you say, don't you? This has been fulfilled, that there was a pure one. Don't we say it there, hanging on that cross, was one who was, who was perfect. And he was righteous, but more than that, who was this on the cross? Wasn't this true? That there was one who lowered himself. Isn't that it? Isn't that what we see at Golgotha? That there is one who was formerly adorned in the robes of heavenly monarchy. But now look at the cross. How is he dressed? There he's a, a slave and a servant. Do you see the condescension? Paul says this. He emptied himself by taking the form of a slave. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. How? By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death in a cross. And you say, don't you with me, that is staggering. Isn't it to think that God has done this? God has lowered himself. God has condescended. But isn't it all the more amazing when we remember why? Why was he there? Why was Christ there? He was there as a priest. He was there representing you. That he was actually fulfilling the role of a priest in those moments of mortal wounding at Calvary in the spiritual realms, in the heavenly temple. What was Christ doing? He was acting as the high priest, the great high priest, and he was making an offering at that moment, an offering to God. You see, surely you do. And surely you say with me, that is part of the reason why the cross of Calvary is so special to the people of God. So we see the preparations of the priest. The second thing we see, though, is the effectiveness of the blood. The effectiveness of the blood. So if you are working with me, and we're working through this chapter of Scripture, we've looked at the preparations you can see now that the preparation, the high priest has sorted himself out. He's got dressed linen, humble clothes, and he's dealt with or had his own sin dealt with. Now he can get to work, right? Now the, the good stuff, the, the work begins. And I'm pretty sure everyone, even again the boys and the girls, did you notice what the high priest used? That he used two, what? Anyone? Two goats. Two goats in his work here. So I want here just to focus on the first one, first goat. I'm going on holiday uh, very soon. Um, I'll, I don't mean right now, but by the uh, end of the uh, week, uh, we're going away on holiday. And so what I've done is I've arranged uh, for somebody to come and stay in the manse, to stay in our house. So an American pastor uh, is coming all over from Kentucky. And he's going to be staying in our house in Woodford for some of the time that we're away. And he's going to be leading at least one service here at London City Presbyterian Church. I've never seen anything like it in all my life. Um, (laughs) We've got an American pastor coming to stay. So the house has got to be cleaned. People are going to be staying in the house when we're away. 
So there's this frenzy of activity. Uh, the soap is out, detergent is out. Like there's places in the house that honestly I've never seen before, like like under the fridge and places that never seen the light of day. And they are spick and span. Why? Because an American pastor, American minister is coming to stay in the house. Everything must be clean. Now in a strange way, I wonder if you see that that is actually what's happening in Leviticus 16. Because think about it. Who comes to stay in the tabernacle? Who is it that resides in the tabernacle? It is the almighty God. And so do you see what has to happen? Do you see why this first goat has to be killed? You're given the answer in verse 16. Now, we might think, oh, it's to deal with the sins of the people. Now, look what it says in verse 16. It says, the goat is to be killed to make atonement for the holy place. That's not what we'd expect to read. To make atonement for the tabernacle. Do you see what's happening? The goat is killed. The blood is being used to clean the temple, the tabernacle, to clean the holy place. Now, that raises a question, doesn't it? Imagine this. That I came home from a pastoral visit on a Thursday night. Uh, keys in the door. Come in. <laughs> Go into my living room. And uh, there's my wife casually cleaning the sofa with goat's blood. Or cleaning the mirror with the blood of goats. I'm, I'm going to have a nice calm word uh, with my good lady. If, if that's how, Do you see the question that we're asking? I mean, we're asking here, cleaning with blood. Like, how can you clean with blood? And I beseech you to listen to this next thing. If you get nothing in this sermon at all, even the boys and girls, listen to what I'm going to say here. That throughout the Old Testament, blood is shown to us as being God's means of dealing with sin. Isn't that right? All the way through the Old Testament, repeatedly we are told that God deals with sin and tones for sin. How? Through blood. Blood, of course, you understand, was precious to the Creator, wasn't it? Like blood was the key component of His creatures, His precious creatures. Blood was everything to God. It was only if blood was spilled and poured out that this most serious thing, sin, could be dealt with. Only then could his anger turn away. And so do you see what's going on? The most holy place, the tabernacle, it can, it can be said to be cleansed. Why? Because it's been cleansed from the defilement and the dirt of the wickedness of the people. It's been cleansed from the defilement of the people's sin. Now, do you remember what I just said to you? I said all of this, every word of this is symbolic. Do you remember what Leviticus 16 is here to do? It was here God was teaching the people about that true day of atonement. Well, I'm asking you this as I stand in front of you this morning. Do you see what God is teaching you about the cross through the blood? Do you understand what God is saying to you in Leviticus 16? See, I wonder, as your minister, how you are spiritually. You know, I I wonder on a daily basis, how is your spiritual walk? Where are you today as a Christian? Is it a healthy walk with Christ? Or are you, this morning, really struggling? Could this even be said of you? That you are beginning to doubt your salvation in Christ, even though you are in him. 
that you're beginning to doubt even the sufficiency of Christ's work. Does that sum up where you are? Well, do you not see here what has been done? Listen to the words. At Calvary, true atoning blood was spilt. It's not everything to us as Christians. I mean, do you see what was happening at Golgotha? Christ Jesus was not just fulfilling the role of a priest as beautiful as that first point was. What was Christ doing? He was fulfilling the role of the sacrifice as well. Do you see that at Calvary, at long, 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 long last, God's eternal anger and his wrath at his people's sin, at your sin, was being turned away, was being propitiated. And why? Because what do you see at Calvary? It's not a goat. And it's not a lamb, and it's not a bull. What is it? The very blood of the God-man was being poured out. Isn't that something? The very blood of the God-man spilt and spilt for for us. And I really believe that that is the reason that we should be rejoicing as Christians, that your doubt should go, that you can have great assurance of your salvation. Do you know why? Because it is not about you. An eternally efficacious offering has already been made to God on your behalf. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Think of the tabernacle. You are clean in Christ. You've been made clean, washed clean. God can now reside in you, with you, live with you, dwell with you forevermore. Your sin will be never rendered to you, never counted against you. Why? Such beautiful things, eternal future safety with God. Why? Because a sufficient offering of blood has been made on your behalf. The blood of the God-man, the blood of Christ has been poured out. And the last thing, we see the removal of the transgression. Something remains. There's an obvious thing that remains if you're following the the layout of the the sermon. If we look at the preparations, and if there's two goats, and we've looked at one goat, what remains? The second goat. Uh, So what happens with it? Well, from verse 20 of this chapter, we're told, I don't know what the teachers in the room call it, maybe a visual aid. Is that what a teacher would call it? Perhaps an uh, uh, object lesson is given to the people. I wonder if you can picture it. Did you notice, I think, that everything in that first goat was private? Did you notice that? Like the, the goat is slaughtered in the, in the courtyard in front of everyone. Did you notice how everything else was private? Like the high priest then takes the blood of that first goat, where? Away from the people, inside the holy place, uh, the most holy place. So it's, it's all in private. And all the people are, are waiting and they're biting their fingernails and wondering, is this going to work? Or is there going to be another Nadab and Abihu moment? Now, do you notice that for the second goat, it's the opposite. Now, for the second goat, everything is done in front of the people. And I'm asking you, and again, the boys, please, to try and picture what happens with the second goat. So you can picture the courtyard, can you, boys and girls? And you can picture all the people of Israel have gathered there. Now the high priest 
at this moment, he stands in front of all of the people and he takes to himself a goat. A goat. We can picture this, can we? I'm sure we can. And the high priest takes both of his hands and he lays the hands upon the head of this goat. Did you notice what happens next? He confesses over the top of it all of the sins and all of the iniquities of the assembly of Israel. You see what he's doing? He is symbolically laying all of the sins of the people where? Upon the head of this goat. Now, if you're anything like me, you're surprised by what happens next. Like I, I'm reading this and I'm expecting, well, if the sin has been laid upon this, this animal, the animal's going to be slaughtered, isn't it? It's going to be killed. But did you notice actually what happens? At this moment, somebody else is given the goat and that goat is taken far away, isn't it? Now listen to the words. The goat is taken out, led out of the camp of Israel. And it's taken, I think, personally, to a place called Azazel. But what's for sure is it's taken into the desert. It's taken to the wilderness, never ever to return. Now, we're nearing the end of the service, so you can deal with one more question, I'm sure. Why is that happening? Why take the goat? Do you see the answer? Is this not a sign? Are we not seeing in the second goat the effect of the death of the first goat? You see? Through the spilling of blood, the sin and iniquity was being born away. Through the spilling of this blood, the sin, the iniquity of the people of Israel, it was being taken out of sight, out of sight, never, ever, ever, ever to return. Now this morning, there's no prizes for guessing. We have to relate that to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I guess this is going to happen. You would join me in disagreeing with a whole number of scholars here. I don't know how many times I've read this this week. Commentators, writers saying that there is no parallel drawn by any of the biblical authors between this second goat and the work of Christ. I can't tell you how many times I've read that. There's no parallel. There's, there's no similarity drawn in the Bible between the second goat who was taken away and the work of Christ. And you disagree with that, don't you? As you scan scripture and you ask yourself, but what happened on that day in Jerusalem, the day that Christ died? What happened like the goat? What did God do? Isaiah 53 with Jesus. He laid on him. The iniquity of us all. And like this goat here, 1 Corinthians 5, he, the Lord Jesus, was made sin for us. And isn't it true when you think of Calvary and you think of the passion of the Christ, that there our substitutionary goat was led out of the camp? Was he not led out of Jerusalem? And like this goat, what is First Peter chapter 2? He carried our sins. And in fact, you say with me, no, everything about this second goat, everything about this substitutionary goat, it screams of the work of our Savior and our sacrifice. And in fact, now you see and hear the message that God has for you in Leviticus 16. Because what is this portion of Scripture saying to you if, if you are in Christ? Do you hear it? Do you see it? Friend, in Christ, your sin, think of the goat, your sin is gone. 
Your sin has been taken away. That wickedness that haunts you, these repeated sins that weigh you down. Do you see what's happened? Your scapegoat, your precious divine scapegoat has taken all, all, all of those sins away. What did we sing a minute ago? Your sins are as far as east is from the west. Your sin has been thrown, Micah chapter 7, to the depths of the ocean. Do you see the truth of this? Do you? Your sin by Christ has been taken out of the sight and out of the mind of Almighty God forevermore. And that is supremely why the cross of Christ is precious to us, the children of God, is it not? Isn't it? Now, I'm going to end with this, and I sort of wrestled with this all through the week, because I have gone here before, um, I'm going to do it again uh, because I love this so much. What happens at the end of the Day of Atonement? Did you notice what happened? Um, This has made a a statue, perpetual annual event, and the people are repenting of their sin and they are afflicting themselves, meaning they are praying, fasting. You get the idea, don't you? What did the high priest have to do at the end? Did you notice what he had to do? He had to get changed back in his garments. In fact, just listen to these words. I'll read them in verse 23. Please listen to these words. We read that having made atonement. Everyone got those words? Having made atonement, that the high priest shall take off, what? His linen garments, and he shall do what with them? Leave them there. Everyone got the three aspects of that. Having made atonement, takes off the linen garments and leaves them there. Were you in the congregation when we looked at this before? Do you remember what I said at the time? What are you told in the New Testament in John chapter 20? Do you remember of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? Can I read it to you? Both Peter and the other disciple are running together. Where are they running to? They're running to the tomb But the other disciple outran Peter and he reached the tomb first and he stooped to look into the tomb. John chapter 20, what does he see? And he sees the strips of linen lying there. Do you see the beautiful parallel that like the high priest here, the Lord Jesus Christ, having made atonement. What does he do? He's made actual atonement. He now removes the humble garments, doesn't he? He now removes his strips of linen. He leaves them lying there. And like the high priest of Leviticus 16, what does he do now? He comes back out into public. And how is our savior dressed as he steps out of the tomb in majesty? Is he dressed in royalty, dressed in the beauty of everlasting eternal life? You see it, don't you? I mean, what a beautiful parallel it is. So I say this to you, friends. May it be that we don't forget. May it be that we endeavor every day of this week and every day of this month as the people of God to remember who our God is, but to remember every day, and especially as we come to the table, what Christ has done for us. Doesn't that mean everything to you? Doesn't this stuff mean everything? Doesn't it stir your hearts and fan the flames of worship? Doesn't it? We are forgiven. 
Christ Jesus' blood has been spilt upon the cross. And now, Christian friend, your sin is gone. It has been taken into the wilderness forevermore. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we fall before you and we, we must acknowledge that you are the, the holy God, that there would be all of these regulations and stipulations to even symbolically have sin dealt with. It shows us you are a great God. It shows us our distance from you. It shows us something of our sinfulness. And so all the more we praise you for the fact that Christ is priest, Christ is altar, Christ is sacrifice, and that true atoning blood has been spilt. Lord, we thank you for this. We praise you for the Lord Christ, our great high priest. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.